with all the different announcements, I forgot to mention Refugee Week. You should have a leaflet in the pew. Um, it's uh, happening this week around this uh, area. Uh, Justin from Nick Grass is with us this morning, and uh, I hope you heard that amazing prayer of Rosalind's. We are thinking uh, of Refugee Week and the refugees throughout the world, and indeed in our community right here in Belfast. A couple of weeks ago, um, we thought about the dressing room. These chapters that we're in in John, where Jesus, before he goes on to the pitch for that um, big game that is coming up in his life, um, from Gethsemane towards the cross and the resurrection, he's got the team around him and he's given them that, that last pep talk, the final psych. Uh, before that big game and before their game then really begins to start. And as we come to chapter 17, you can't avoid the World Cup, I guess, at the moment, can you? It's even in shops and there's all kinds of dilemmas around the city because somebody in West Belfast, there's a street that put up the flag of what team they were given in a draw and he got England and he has an England flag flying over his house in, uh, in West Belfast and I saw a friend last night had all the flags up where he was, and I said, you've got to be careful about that Ivory Coast flag, uh, just um, where you fly that in Belfast at the moment if you get it the wrong way round. The World Cup's all around us, and there's moments, if you watch it carefully, and I'm sure many of you are not watching it carefully at all, and are trying not to watch it at all, but there's moments on the pitch where players right across the teams, you will notice them finding a space Finding a moment before the game starts, there may be a prayer gesture, um, there may be just that closed eyes, but there are these moments when just before it, they take time to reflect. Maybe some of them have no faith at all and they're just trying to get within themselves, but many of them have faith, maybe in a variety of different ideas of how to get to God, but maybe that's their prayer. I, I know that Sturridge, who scored last night, is a a guy of deep Christian faith. And there's moments when you will see them having that quiet, reflective time. Maybe the coach, when the team goes out onto the pitch, has one last, even if he doesn't believe in God, prayer that maybe they'll do what they've been told to do or whatever. What we've got to hear in this, these chapters, these amazing chapters in John's, in the Gospel according to John, is where Jesus takes that moment away from the team. And just stops and just looks to his father and prays for them before what is ahead. It's a remarkable prayer. Divided easily into three parts. Jesus, first of all, prays for himself. He prays that God would glorify him and that he would glorify God. He prays for this moment that he knows is coming towards him and he towards it. He prays for his own role in the transformation and redemption of the world. And in that, he just throws out that great truth about eternal life. Now, this is eternal life in verse 3, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now, there's loads of stuff in this passage about glory, the hope of glory, the glory that is to come beyond this particular realm of life. But Jesus reminds us again here, as Stephen Williams that we listened to some of those Sunday nights in our series recently has reminded me on more than one occasion, 
that none of us are called to heaven in the scriptures. Oh yes, we have the promise of heaven. Oh yes, Jesus died that we might go to glory. But there's nowhere that Jesus calls us to heaven. He calls us to this. A life on earth where we would know the only true God and the Jesus Christ who God sent. We are called to discipleship here and now at this moment in time. And indeed, in the early church, Paul had to rebuke the church many times because they get so distracted with what was going to happen after this life that they weren't living the life they were supposed to be living right here and now. Praise God for the hope of glory, that glory. But what we're called to today is to leave this building to know Christ or to know the true God and Jesus Christ who sent us. That, Jesus says here, is eternal life. After he prays for himself, he prays for his disciples, those around him. The team that he's just been talking to, giving them this pep talk. It's just about to happen, lads. And boy, we're going to get into it very quickly because you're going to fall asleep over there. Then Judas is going to come. There's going to be a lot of uh, punching and hitting and all kinds of violence. Then you're going to deny me. Then I'm going to be on a cross. Then you're all going to be scattered. Guys, I'm trying to tell you, we're going to get ourselves ready for this battle. So Jesus, at that point, prays for the disciples that are right there with him. Protect them by the power of your name. He's asking for their protection. Because he knows what's ahead, not only in the short next few days, but in the next number of years. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world. Do you see again, it's not about some glory that's out of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them. That word protect again from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. We thought a couple of weeks ago that we're not of the world, but we're sent back into the world and Jesus is praying for the protection of his disciples and those words Stephen Anderson you read them on the very day that you would be ordained as you sent me into the world I have sent them into the world and tonight Stephen Anderson in an ordained way is sent into the world but of course we all are whether we have a prayer card with our name on it or not. So he's prayed for his disciples, those around him, and then he goes further than that. Now John, of course, is thinking about the people that are reading his account of the gospel. He prays for those who will believe, not just the disciples that are with him right there, but those who are going to believe as a result of what they do. And of course he's thinking about those who would first read John's account of Jesus' life, but he's also praying for us, praying for those who would believe you. Jesus in this particular chapter of the scriptures is praying for you. Where you are this moment in time in your life, whatever that is, whatever's going on in it, whatever you've been through, whatever's got you to this point, whatever you're frightened about or excited about in the next week, Jesus prayed for you. What did he pray for them? Here's the biggie that we're going to come to right now. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me 
and have loved them even as you have loved me. There's a word that hangs over this entire chapter. The three sections of Jesus' prayer. There is a word that is in this chapter, maybe more than in any other chapter actually, uh, in the New Testament. And that word is glory. What is glory? We've talked about the glory that we're all looking forward to, the hope of glory, but there's so much more to this word than that. Leslie Newbigin, whose commentary I have used quite extensively through this series, he says, glory is plainly one of the fundamental words of the Bible. One of the fundamental words of the Bible. It expresses that which is, so to speak, constitutive of God's being in nature. Glory is God's being and nature. His character, his attributes, his majesty, his splendor. That is glory. But at the same time, it denotes the honor which ought to be paid to God. So we give God glory in our worship. But glory is the very essence of who God is. And Newbigin says, this is what the whole gospel tells us, that these two meanings are mutually bound together. The glory that is the revelation and the essence and the character and the attributes of God and us giving glory to that God. So let's think about that for a moment. The earth gives glory to God. Psalm 19, just as one of the verses from the psalm that you almost can pick up um, from, you can just put a pen in the middle of the Psalms and you'll find God getting glory. The heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens, the skies at night, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. So the world declares the essence of God, the majesty and splendor of God. Remember Isaiah 6. Isaiah's in the temple. God moves towards him. And when he meets God in that incredible place, what does he hear the seraphs sing? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. God's revelation is all around us, particularly perhaps on a day like today. So glory is something that we give to God. Or that the earth and his creation revels in that revelation. Then we praise him. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. What we do on a Sunday morning is we see the evidence of that God, the revelation of that God all around us. And we come into this building and through the the music of those who lead us, we ascribe to the Lord his glory. But here's what's captivated me this week. Here's the thing that has really caught my attention this week. Yes, the whole earth declares the splendor and source of God. Yes, we give glory to God. Yes, we have a hope of glory in the future. But listen to those words again and listen to them good. I have given them the glory that you gave me. Jesus is praying for his new community of believers and he's saying to God, I have given them the glory that you gave me. Jesus prayed and told God 
that he had given you the glory. You. Whatever's going on in your life right now, you have the glory of God. Now let me go back to that which I quote so often. Blow my nose for a pause there. Think of all the thoughts going through your mind right now about what I quote so often. He's going for it again and you're right. The shorter catechism. What is man's chief end? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Now, that's the one bit we know. That's even the bit that Stephen knows when tonight he'll probably take vows saying that he's theologically assessed the whole lot of it. We've heard it so many times. It's quoted in so many different occasions. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But what, what does it mean? It's our raison d'etre. It's our reason to live. It is what humanity is all about. I have given them the glory that you give me. Now you see, I always thought it was that we would glorify God. That we would be a worshipping community. That to glorify God meant coming on a Sunday, glorifying God and enjoying the presence of God. Although it has to be said that a lot of what I grew up with, they took the enjoyment part out most of the time. And I wondered about that last bit. Because it seemed that anything you enjoyed, you sort of got out of there because you weren't really allowed to enjoy. I've told you the story before about the minister who in the winter was able to skate across the lake to his church on the other side of the lake in Scotland. And it was not sure whether this was deemed as being right to do on the Sabbath or not. So Presbytery met and Presbytery pontificated and Presbytery concluded that yes, he could skate across the lake to that other church on a Sunday, providing he didn't enjoy it. Now, that part of the shorter catechism always slightly confused me. But let's get back to what this is saying in its reality. Man's chief end is to glorify God. And yes, worshipping God will be part of that. But surely it's linked with this verse in chapter 17, verse 22. I have given them the glory that you give me. Man's chief end is to live. The glory of God in their lives. And I was delighted when I googled this and discovered that the verses that they use in the shorter catechism to defend this particular man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever is John chapter 17. Because as I read it, there it was. Think about the verses a little bit earlier than that. I am coming to you now, Jesus prayed early on. But I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. John chapter 17 has both sides of man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We're to live the glory because the glory has been given to us. And our joy is going to be complete when we live the glory. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. 
in your ordinary things, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 and 31. The glory of God is in you as you eat and drink or whatever you do. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. How is God going to be glorified? Yes, with the stars and the sun and the moon. And if you look at Facebook on a night like last night, there are so many photographs of beautiful sunsets and colors all around Northern Ireland and beyond. Yes, God's going to be glorified in this. But here's the thing. As I keep telling us, The sunsets were not made in his image. They have not a patch on who I'm looking at right now. Because you were made in the image of God. And when we as human beings glorify God in our lives, that is the glory that Jesus came to live and to die and to be raised for. And what you realize is in this whole gospel and in what Jesus was all about and in the teachings of Jesus... Jesus is not a prophet or a good preacher giving us some good advice about how we might live. Here's a few thoughts on how you might live in the world that you live in. That's not what this is all about. It's not some middle class behavioural pattern that says don't smoke or swear or drink. It's not about being nice to your elderly neighbour. No, that's not what the gospel is about. What we've been listening through John is, this is about living the life of God within our human bodies. This is about us partaking in God's life or God partaking in his life through us. It's about life in all its fullness, chapter 10. It's about birth from above, chapter 3. It's the right to become children of God, chapter 1. It's the counsellor, the comforter, the advocate, the spirit of truth poured into you and I that the character of God might be revealed in the sky? Yes, but even more powerfully in you and me. This is how people will know that you sent me. The sky? No. In the way that this new community of believers and faith live. You see, when we were made in the image of God, that glory that the world reveals about God was part of our DNA. And what Jesus has come to do is to redeem and to restore that image the glory of God will be revealed in you and I. And as I pondered that this week, I can't help thinking in my own life that I'm settling for something less than I am. It's almost like, and I was wrestling with this and I can't quite get the right analogy, but it's almost like, yes, there's the team on the pitch. And they're doing the business. And I'm tied into it in some way. Not the World Cup so much. There's none of the two Irish teams there. And it makes it slightly less, doesn't it? But whatever your team is, and it could be rugby or it could be soccer or it could be tonight. I mean, last night there was 
goodness Ireland were playing rugby and Rory and Graham were playing in the US Open and it was going off all around the place. Dear love anybody that doesn't like sport in my family, which is everybody except me. But you know where your team is on there and they're playing and you're watching them and you've got some connection with it. You've maybe the scarf on. You've maybe the same emotions going on in your guts because you really want them to do well. You're tied into it in some ways. But you're actually sitting in your armchair in the months watching a screen. It's not exactly being on the pitch, engaged in the heat of the battle. And we could do that in our Christian lives. We could support God. We could come to the stadium. We could sing the songs. We could know the team. We could know all the stats, all the verses. We could somehow be tied into it in that kind of way. But that's not what Jesus came for. He came that every one of us would be on the pitch. That every one of us has a role to play. That we're not cheering on the team. That we are the team. We talk a lot in Fitzroy about a phrase I came up with years ago. Forgive me, Bruce Coburn came up with it. But we're all particles of light across the city. Every Tuesday at lunchtime, we pray. Every Tuesday at lunchtime. We pray for all the particles of light across the city. Wherever you are in Belfast or beyond on a Tuesday, we're praying for it in there. Particles of light in office blocks or with your neighbours or in cafes or out walking in the hills or with your family. Being particles of God's light. We are particles of God's glory across this city every moment of every day. God's glory wants to shine through us. And I know what you're saying. You're saying, Steve, have you any idea what I'm going through at this moment in time? God's glory in me at this point in time in my life, you've got to be kidding. And actually, Steve, you do know and you're still saying that. And I think whatever it is we're going through, God's glory can be revealed in our lives. Because Jesus is praying at the start of this that God's glory would be revealed in his life as he heads towards the cross. As he heads towards betrayal, as he heads towards the denial, as he heads towards the torture, as he heads towards glory doesn't come out when everything's going right. You don't wait to get everything right before you start to reveal the glory. What I'm not saying today, what I'm not saying today, what Jesus is saying today, is that I have given you the glory. It's yours. It's in you. Now what about revealing it in all its fullness? What about thinking more of yourself than you're thinking now? Me? Yes, you. But I'm not going to be ordained to go to Spain. No, it's not about that. But I'm never going to be able to go and pray at the front. No, it's not about that. It's just a fact. Jesus has given you the glory.
Now he does talk about unity. He does talk about oneness. He says that's one of the first things this glory is going to reveal. A unity. A oneness. A togetherness. As I am in the Father and the Father is in me and I am them that they may be one. How will it look on the streets? How will it look on the streets? How would the glory of God look on the streets of Belfast? I remember Alistair Morris used to come to Ireland quite a bit to preach. He preached at the uh, First Antrim Convention when I was um, assistant minister there. And he used to say to me in a Scottish accent, I'll not try it. I'll be, he had a, a very strong Scottish accent. He said, Northern Ireland is the greatest hindrance to evangelism across the world. Why? Division. Why? Hatred and sectarianism and prejudice. Is Jesus in to say about that? John 17. I'm giving you the glory so that we would be one. Now it doesn't seem to me to be rocket science to work out one of the ways that the glory could be revealed in our country at this time. And if it was, then all men will do. And if it isn't, then don't blame anybody for not knowing. I have given you the glory. Your reason to live? Live the glory of God in your life and be satisfied in him forever. Let us pray. Lord, when we even imagine what we define in our own lives as the glory of God. And then we look at our lives that got out of bed this morning. Even for those of us who come to church every week and have a deep down understanding and knowledge of God, we find it very hard to believe that the glory of the heavens has been given into our lives. Lives, Lord, that today are being pushed and pulled and distracted and are stressed under pressure and tired that we feel at times are almost falling apart and yet your word comes to us and says today Jesus says I have given them the glory that you give me. Lord, Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus that the eyes of their hearts may be enlightened to the hope that is within them. Lord, as a pastor in Fitzroy this morning, I pray that we might have the eyes of our hearts enlightened to the glory that has been given to us through Jesus Lord, fan it into flame, whatever the circumstances of our lives. That as we leave here to trickle back into the different streets of this city and beyond, that your glory, the manifest revelation of the splendor and wonder and grace and holiness and justice of God may be revealed in us.
We pray it for Fitzroy too, Lord. That in this neighborhood, people would see the glory of God through our oneness and through our living out the kingdom of God. That we would let our light so shine before everyone else in this community that they would glorify you because they would see God glorified in us enjoying him forever. By your spirit, reveal this to the eyes of our heart and our souls. May we live it in Christ's name. Amen.